Our passage this morning is found in 1 Samuel. We will look at verses 55 uh, through 18, verse 9. As you know, we are going through the life of David. And it's titled, David the Warrior Poet. Last week we looked at the infamous David and Goliath story. David became a warrior in the sight of everyone. And one of our key points last week, and I want to keep hammering this home, was that David is a representative of Jesus. And that when, when the Israelites watched David go out against the enemy and win, they were, they were filled with courage. And we too know that Jesus has conquered sin and death, and that should fill his saints with courage to go out and, and spread his justice and mercy and love all across the broken world and the broken uh, terrain that we live in. This week, uh, we're going to now look at something a little different. We're going to look at the response of a few folks to David. Uh, and, and specifically, we're going to hone in on David and Jonathan and their friendship. And we're going to just understand and hopefully unpack how the gospel would help you and I be better friends. Wouldn't that be great? We all get along. So much, we all get along great, but really get along well like David and Jonathan. That would be wonderful. Uh, not only with our relationships here, but our spouses, our parents, our children, work, co-workers, etc. So let's now look at these verses together, starting in chapter 17, verse 55. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, and with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the heir of David, your son Jesus. That now, Lord, clothed in his righteousness, we can listen to scripture through your spirit. It can make sense to us and we can grow. All for your glory. Amen. Um, a disclaimer, I'm going to make a disclaimer for this sermon. I've used some of these illustrations before and here's why I'm making this disclaimer. This was my sermon where I got all those illustrations. This is like one of my favorite sermons. 
So if you don't like this sermon, just don't tell me. Okay, there's my disclaimer. Uh, I used to watch a lot of Seinfeld. Anyone here know what Seinfeld is? And this is one of the, my favorite illustrations from Seinfeld because I've had this happen in my life. You've had this happen in your life. Elaine is uh, talking to George and Jerry, and she says, tell me if you think this is strange. There's this guy who lives in my building who I was introduced to a couple of years ago by a friend. He's a teacher, I think, or something. Anyway, after we met, whenever we'd run into each other on the street or in the lobby or whatever, we would stop and we'd chat a little bit. Nothing much. Little pleasantries. He's a nice guy. He's got a family. Then after a while, I noticed there was no more stopping. Just saying hello and continuing on our way. And then the verbal hellos stopped. And we just went into these little sort of nods of recognition. And so fine, I thought. That's where this relationship is finally going to settle. Polite nodding. Then one day, he doesn't nod. Like, I don't exist. He went from nods to nothing. How, now there's this intense animosity whenever we pass. I mean, it's like we really hate each other. And it's based on nothing. And Jerry says, a relationship is an organism. You created this thing, and then you starved it. The same thing happened in the blob. And so that's the end of that scene. And it, it, we've all had that moment, I think, on campus. If you're a student or anywhere, you, hey, we met at that party, you nod, and then eventually it's kind of like, don't even look at each other, don't make eye contact. Why does that happen? Well, we starve relationships. And that's just a little humorous glimmer into our actually more meaningful relationships that we have. We starve them. What does that mean? That means that we tend to use people to feed us. And what I hope we'll see with Jonathan is of all the people in the passage, he was so focused on who Yahweh is and who God is and who he is in God that he could see David for who he really was. So here's the point we're going to look at this morning. When you're fed by Christ, you can actually nourish relationships, strong, healthy relationships. First thing we're going to look at is being fed by Christ. You can see people as they truly are. Secondly, you can move towards people and then thirdly, you can actually let those, folk, those people move toward you and be known. These are three difficult things, so let's jump in. Being fed by Christ means you can see people as they truly are. The Bible teaches very clearly that man is made in the image of God. And I believe it teaches that when you see people in the image of God as they really are, you are drawn to them. Right? There isn't really any human being who's alive that doesn't have some quality that would make you want to know them more or be drawn to them. That's not to suggest that you should be best friends with everybody you ever meet, but everybody is made in the image of God, and there should be this drawing into them. However, most of us find that that's not the way we approach people. So let's look at the passage. There's a few wrong ways to approach people. Um, David has just returned, and what has happened? The, the crowds have made him their hero, Right? You heard the song, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has ten thousands. Well, what's wrong with that response? I mean, after all, if you're David, wouldn't that feel amazing to have people come out and just like, it's you, where's that head? Pull it out of the basket, we want to see it. Sorry, a little gruesome. Actually, though, it's, it's in the passage, right? But yet what you find is uh, the problem with that hero worship is People aren't really worshiping or liking David for who David is. 
They're liking David for how they make them feel, how he makes them feel. For example, Saul, a day before, was the hero. Now that there's David, what has Saul done for me lately, right? You see this in modern-day heroes. The moment Kevin Durant announces, I'm leaving, what do you do? You burn his jersey. At least that's what they did in Cleveland with LeBron. I don't know if anybody in Oklahoma City actually burned a Durant jersey. But it is a sense of which your job, Kevin Durant, your job, David, your job, friend, relationship, person, is to be in my world and make me feel better about me. And as long as you do that, I like you. You're my hero. But when you fail, I'm going to move you out. I'm going to take someone else. And then you have Saul. Saul's a little bit more sophisticated. Saul sees the benefit of David, and he brings David into his court. Right? But you can tell from the very beginning, it's a little bit, you know, I'm going to keep you close. Because you're, you're good for me. But you also could be bad for me, like an enemy. So you keep your friends close and your enemies closer, right? So Saul brings in David into his court and lets him go out and and, and fight his battles. But the moment that the the crowd shifts, Saul has this new view of David that's cynical, that's frustrating, that's angry. And with both Saul and the crowds, what you find, the problem they have is people are there for them, right? The relationships people in their life, it's there for them. And then you come to Jonathan. It's right at the very beginning of this chapter 18. As soon as David began, finished, excuse me, speaking, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and he loved him as his own soul. We'll, talk, we'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment, but I want to just point out the fact that Jonathan was able to, in this moment, re- recognize who David was. He was able to accept the fact that David was who he was. And yet that was very harmful for, for Jonathan. It would mean that Jonathan would not be the heir to the kingdom. But that didn't bother him. Because he was able to look at David and love him where he was. There's a passage uh, in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis where he talks about, uh, it, it's this, obviously it's fantasy. He's, there's a guide taking a person into heaven and into hell in different ways and while they're in heaven, he's showing them what this person, what heaven will look like. And out walks this glorious woman. And this character says, is it? Could it be? And he's obviously going to say, like, Mary? Or somebody of that nature. And the guide says, not at all. Not at all. It's someone you'll have never heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith. And she lived in Golders Green. And the, the, other, the, the person on this trip to heaven says, but she seems to be a person of great importance. Ah, yes, she is one of the great ones. And he goes on to describe what made her great. This visitor to heaven says, but look at all of her children. Look at all these people. What are they? They're her children. They're her daughters, her sons. And he says, but she had actually no children on earth. She just treated everybody with love and affection that came to her door. The the boy that would deliver the paper, right? The The neighbor girl. They were people. She looked into their eyes and made them feel like sons and daughters, right? Do you look at people and make them feel human? That's how a relationship should go, right? You look at them and the thought isn't, are you going to advance my career? Are you going to make me laugh? Is this, gonna, is this conversation going to contribute to my day or my feed? Or is it just going to be a waste of my time? Whereas Jonathan asked the question of, am I willing to see this person as he really is? 
This person has dignity. This person is the king. At this point in time, for Jonathan to deny that would be to start to live in a false sense of reality. Right? If, if I handed you a jar, you know, there's two people, there's one that's kind of weak and one that's strong, and you hand the jar to the weak one, you know, they pretend to try to open the jar, but it's really the strong guy that should open the jar, right? But, yeah, you know, you let the, everyone try it. Okay, that's maybe just a really bad illustration of where we live our lives like the one trying to open the jar. Oh, I got this one, you know. Oh. And then we say things like, well, I loosened it for you, you know. I contributed. For Jonathan, he's willing to say, look, you are the king, and I'm willing to see you as you really are. And I feel zero threat. Okay, that's, that's point number one. Point number two is Jonathan also, and for us being fed in Christ, also makes us move toward other people, right? When you, when you think about relationships with people, we often want them either to stay where they are and do what they do, or we want them to come into our world and do what we want them to do. So for the crowd, the crowd that came out, the women that were singing, you know, David has killed his, struck his tens of thousands, they weren't necessarily wanting a close relationship. They just wanted him to keep doing what he does. You know, you turn the TV on. There he is. He's performing. Right? I read in the paper. He's winning. Yay. Look, he's, he's leading the company. He's, he's doing great. And it could be your spouse or your child. And you could just say, there they go, doing what makes me feel great about me. And then Saul, on the other hand, seeming, uh, cunningly pulls David in and says, I'm going to bring you near to my court. You're going to come in and play the liar and soothe me. You're going, to, you're going to drive my armies. But what does Jonathan do? Jonathan moves right toward David, right? He takes off his outer garments. He, he gives them to David. He, he makes a covenant with David. If you read more of the story, there's a lot to this text. At times when Saul's trying to kill David, Jonathan goes out to him, out in a field or out in a far area and says, I want to tell you what warnings are coming your way, what problems are coming your way. How are you relating to people? How do you relate to them? Are you relating to them in that way? Are you going towards people? In James 2, a very famous place, James talks about the royal law. The royal law. In Matthew, Jesus says, the law is this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength in mind and love your neighbor as yourself and for Jesus that means when you don't love your neighbor as yourself you probably are not loving God right so if you think no no I love God I'm great there but I don't like people there might be a problem right and so for James he picks that same teaching up and says this if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you're doing well But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For James, the idea of showing partiality is exactly what we see in this passage. It's I'm looking at people based on what they can provide for me. And I will show partiality. And we all struggle with that. But why do we do it? We do it because we're not loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, or mind. Or to reverse that a little bit, we are not absolutely embracing the fact that the God of the universe has loved us, saved us, and rescued us, and given us an identity in Christ. So what we're trying to do is go out and find our identity by people. 
Um, and that's happening more and more in our culture. And, and what I think we need to look at in this passage is the word knit. In chapter 18, again, verse 1, the, the word knit is very interesting. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. They were connected like fabric. It was woven together. Um, I'm going to do something here I hadn't uh, planned tremendously long about, but some people will read this relationship and say, aha, there's, there's homosexuality in the Bible right there. I see it. Um, the problem is that's a very shallow reading of this passage because most people would agree if this, and this is, don't, if you can email me tomorrow, I'll take the emails. But if this was two women, most people, yeah, it's a great relationship, beautiful. Somehow in our culture, when we see men love each other like this, we have to be perverse and throw sexuality into it. But is it possible that a gospel-centered relationship would blow our minds? That even guys who only know how to talk sports could actually begin to say, I love you. I'm there for you. Our souls are knit together. I am your, you know, John McConnell uses the term wingman, right? I'm, I'm with you. Is that possibly something we can reclaim as the church? And when Jonathan says our souls are knit, he's saying there will not be this separation that you find so prevalent in our culture. By the way, in the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, that reflexive pronoun is important. The Bible does say you can love yourself rightly, right, in Christ. That means we have empathy, right? How would that make me feel, right? If I did what he's, you know, am I empathizing with somebody? Or am I simply using them as a, as a pawn for my life? When the gospel is at work, I can begin to empathize and say, I want to connect myself to them because that's what I would want if I were in their situation. Are you connected to people? How are you, how are you connected to um, your spouse? That's the most obvious if you're married, right? Is it, well, we're doing great as long as he or she's doing what I want them to do, right? How about a child? Do you ever feel betrayed by a child? What is, you, what is your response? Or a coworker, or a roommate, or a sibling, in Jerry Maguire, see it's an old, old illustration, but it has to be the best illustration. He used Mariel. He was just emotional. He, got, he gets married too early, and, and the business is taken off, and he realized, I actually love her. Like, I actually was knitted to her. But they're kind of separated at the time, right? So he goes to find his wife. Where is she? She's at the sister's house in a divorce group. The sister has these divorce meetings. And all these women, they hate men, and they meet, and they talk about how bad men are. And in walks Jerry Maguire. And he says, um, I'm looking for my wife. And they all look at him like, you get out of here. And she comes out of the kitchen, and he realizes, oh, no. Like, this is going to happen, like, in this setting, right? And he says, okay, this is where it's going to be. I'm not letting you get rid of me. And I love that line. Now, he goes on to say, you complete me. I would like to augment that a little bit. I, can, I want to complete you. That's what knitting would be, right? You complete me, but I complete you. It's not just what you do for me, but we together are something brand new, and to break it apart is ruinous. But when's the last time you've gone to a friend that kind of blew you off and said, I'm not letting you get rid of me? You can even play the Jerry Maguire clip, just to kind of, you know, a little levity before the hard com- confrontation. Okay. Is that our mindset? Is that how we're feeling about people? Is that our view of relationship? Um, a lot of this stuff was developed even before social media, but I think even more than ever, um, 
I'll just unfriend them. I'll quit following that person, right? It's so easy to do. We do it in real time with real people, but we do it on social media. I don't really love what I'm hearing, so they're out of my life, and I'll just pop someone new in and just keep going. That's not the way the Scriptures teach us to live. So our third point is going to be, how does being fed by Christ allow us to see people made in the image of God to move toward them? And the answer is, by being willing to be disrupted. I'm trying to think about how to word it the best. By being willing to be exposed. Okay, by being willing to be known. By actually being willing to be seen for who you really are. Okay? One of the most amazing parts about this passage, and it's just these few verses, is Jonathan stripping himself of the robe. Let me be clear. He has clothes on. But when he takes off the, the robe that he takes off, he's taking off kingly garments. He's taking off identity markers. He's handing to David things that say, you're the king. I am nobody. I'm no longer what I was five minutes ago. Here's the, here's the sword. Here's the belt. It would be like a signet ring. You are, and Saul must be watching this in disgust. Later we know Saul gets all over Jonathan and says, you know, why are you letting him be the king? Saul can't even fathom this. But for David, the whole point is, per, or for Jonathan, is perfect. I'm doing this because he's the king. He needs to be seen for who he really is. And by the way, I'm not. I've always known it. I've always wondered it, Dad. And let me just be honest. I'm not the king, and I'm okay with who I am. Right? Years ago, there was a book, uh, and I would like to see a follow-up. It's called Hurt by Chap Clark. He, he interviews adolescents. Uh, he's a sociologist. He did youth work for a long time. I would love to do a follow-up and see where these students are now. There was one student that, whose letter just gripped me when I read it in the book. He says this. He said, I could stare in the mirror for hours and find no connection between my thoughts and the face staring back at me. He that is himself in the mirror, seems more like a poorly casted actor whose eyes show his disdain for his role. You see, he's like this popular kid. He's like, that person looking back at me is an actor. And in, I, in his eyes, I can tell he hates what he's doing. But he's smiling, and he leads an exceptional life with above-average grades and social skills. But I, the one who's on the inside, wish my real life were even remotely like that. But there, it's not. He says, other people seem like actors or actresses in the same sick drama, almost unreal. And I have to remind myself when I speak to them that it's not me they're talking to, it's this actor that I see in this mirror, this false image. I feel like a renegade separating myself from my intended role, and yet my misery seeks no company. Is that harsh? I mean, how, we, we do play roles. We do, isn't it amazing how the rain, the ambiance, like it stopped and it got quiet. And I was like, what just happened? It was raining, and now it's not raining. Sorry. I just noticed that. That's the actor. No, I'm kidding. So we, when you come to Christ, you have, you have this, the word of God. You have this calling to be adopted. You have the gospel message. But then you have to go back to what I'd call real life, right? I mean, the accountant, the banker, the doctor, the, the guy that has it together, the guy that always picks up the pieces, the one that, that helps people that are going through trouble, or the one that's funny, or whatever your role is, we've got to put that mask on, right? 
That's, that's our fear. That's what makes Christianity so hard, is that for many of us, we've just taken Christian ideas and sort of fastened them to the, the actor. So now I've learned to just say some verses and smile and say, I'll pray for you. I've learned, I've morphed my character, right? But not Jonathan. He was willing to disrobe his identity markers. When, when is the last time you went before the Lord and, and stopped defending yourself and said, apart from you, I am absolutely nothing, and you meant it? When's the last time with the relationship you said, you know, one of my favorite Simon and Garfunkel lines of all time, it wasn't from this beautiful song that Kevin sang, but gone, uh, was it uh, gone, to, gone to Search for America? She's fallen asleep. Kathy, is her name Kathy? And he knows she's asleep on this train. He says, I'm empty, I'm aching, and I don't know why. You know, here he's been singing about fun, and they've been having fun. She falls asleep, and he finally gets vulnerable. When's the last time you've looked at someone who's awake and said those words? I'm struggling. I'm really doubting. I'm really hurting. I, I, I believe the truths of Scripture, but I'm afraid of exposure because at my core, I'm not sure what I'm going to find. Because that's where Jesus wants us to go, right? That's the depths of the core that we are to show and expose. And the reason Jonathan can do that is because he knew who he was. He knew he was the son of a king. The reason Jesus can come, John tells us in chapter 13, which I've, I love this passage because he says, Jesus says, or John tells us, knowing who he is, knowing why he came, knowing his identity, he's in the upper room, he could actually take off his outer garments and take on the form of a slave and wash feet because he knew who he was. Do you know who you are? If you are a Christian, you are united to Christ. Your identity is not in anything you think it's in. Your looks, they're fleeting. Your reputation, it's not as good as you think it is. Your money, trust me, it's not that amazing, right? Or it's not that bad. Um, a friend of mine's preaching on the risk of being poor is Ricky. Being poor or being wealthy, both are, are bad things. I want to say, well, I mean, you know, all of us would like to try the other side out for a little while, right? But, but we have these identity markers, and we're so afraid of just absolutely stepping out of those and saying, my identity is in Jesus alone. And that's exactly what gave Paul all of his strength. That's what gives men like Martin Luther and other saints throughout, throughout church history, they finally wake up and realize who I am is I'm a son or a daughter of the king. That is my identity. And when I know that, and when I rest in that, and when I meditate on that, when I, I just bathe myself in the truths of Scripture, those truths, I can then move toward people in a radically new way because they can't hurt me. So I can ask them hard questions. I can be with people who I might not otherwise want to be around. I'm not trying to think about how that's going to help my reputation. You know, life is not meant to get stuck in junior high, okay? We're supposed to get out of junior high a little bit. No offense to those in junior high, it's, it's wonderful. But I do think adults often get just stuck there. And we're always in the hallways between classes going, how am I coming across, right? Who did I talk to on my way to the next thing? And the gospel says, no, you are in Christ. Now, 
you can be known. Now you can move toward other people. Now you can look at other people and see what God is doing in their lives and pray for them as made in the image of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you um, and are scared to death to be known. And, I, and I'm afraid, Lord, that uh, sometimes our identities have become so seared with our out, outer masks that we don't even see it anymore. And Lord, it's not that it's not that these things are bad, but it's that we rely on them instead of you. That's when they become wrong. Lord, help. I pray that none of these words would be misunderstood, Lord. You want us to care about our looks, of course, and to be kind, to do all these amazing things, but you want us to do them authentically and not as cover-ups. You want us to be known as people who are clothed in righteousness so we can actually listen and move toward people in our midst. Or there are broken relationships our, we have marriages that struggle. We have parents and children who are somehow struggling to, to communicate well, Lord. We have sisters and brothers that we aren't able to talk to. We have neighbors that we no longer nod at. Lord, teach us to move toward all of these people with your power. Amen.